Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists who are committed to planetary purpose, or in other words, a holistic vision for planet Earth. My name is Julian Guderlei, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Adam Roa. Adam is an artist, a poet, a creator, a podcast host, an online media mastermind. In short, Adam is a transformational artist committed to showing the world what it looks like to choose love over fear in every moment. Combining years of experience as a personal development coach and over a decade of experience as a filmmaker and performer, he blends the two worlds in a way that encourages others to see life as art. His deep dive podcast brings a practical approach to spirituality, aiming to give an authentic look into the minds of the thought leaders and game changers of today by allowing the audience to be a fly on the wall. Further, Adam has been featured in Huffington Post, Addicted to Success, and Elephant Journal. He also created a YouTube show called The Art of Choosing Love, and his viral spoken word poetry pieces have touched the lives of millions of people. His deepest desire is to unlock the inner artist and creative use of energy in the people he touches and the world at large. So with these words, welcome to the show, Adam. Having me, Julian. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I'm excited to, to dive in with you. I, I love... I love the things you put out and I love your poems. I think they've, they've touched millions of people for a reason, you know, more poetry. Oh, thank you. I, I, it's been a, a blessing to see, especially with the poetry, how well received it's been because um, with the You Are Who You've Been Looking For poems specifically, it's all about self-love. And, and while I, I would love to take all the credit for saying this is an amazing poem, uh, it's also really just a sign of how much people want to hear these messages. And, and that is encouraging to me. Yeah, that, that is, that is really true. I feel like the world is kind of aching for like a complete different take on media at large and just how we're relating to each other, you know, mm -hmm. and the, the way you and um, your whole crew around the art of choosing love are putting, putting out content. I, like, first of all, I want to just acknowledge you for, for it, obviously, like the numbers and the statistics and all that speak for it too. But on a personal level, like I think it's epic and I'm, I'm so glad you're, you're showing up. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, it's, it's um, at this stage, we, we are um, on pause with the show after doing two seasons of it. Um, but it's on YouTube, it lives forever. And I'm sure like, content hasn't stopped being created, right? Like content continues. And um, to take this show, and, and for people who are unfamiliar, like, the show started because I was with um, my romantic partner for 10 years. We broke up and the next day when I was meditating and crying all over myself, I just heard a voice in my head really distinctly say, you know, to film everything. And so I just, I hired some cameramen who were my friends and we just started traveling the world and filming that process. Like, what does it look like to go through the hardest thing I'd ever been through? And what does it look like to like start dating in today's world? What does it look like to meet someone and fall in love, which I did. And, and then, um, yeah. Now it's funny because now I'm, I'm going through a breakup again after a year and there's no camera around this time. Mm. So it's, it's a different, I get to experience it like most people do it now. Um, but it's a, uh, it's been a wild, wild ride, man. And I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to, to, to make the show and um, I'm sure it'll return in some form or fashion, you know? Mm. 
Yeah, I'm excited for that. I want to dive in a little deeper there. Um, and no pun intended to the deep dive podcast, but that's the name of my podcast. And you keep saying it's like, let's dive in. Let's dive. Yeah. In. Yeah. I, I say that at the beginning of every single episode It's like, let's dive deep. So, yeah. It seems, it seems to be like the colloquial English that I picked up over the years. Yeah. A hundred percent. You're just plugging my podcast. Every <laughs> <time>. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Yeah, no, no worries at all. Um, but I, what I want to re- really like put a finger on is, is, you know, the art of choosing love. Mm-hmm. And so, when I feel into that and I've watched um, a lot of your content and like some of the things you share around, like all the emotions that are coming up kind of on that journey, I want to ask you like what's naturally coming up when you're kind of going into the journey of choosing love. Right. Cause to me, it sounds like the other side of the spectrum, the feelings, the emotions, maybe the negativity you've shared lots of like, depression and topics like that before. Um, that they would show up as well. And that, that's kind of what you're choosing love over. So do you mind elaborating a bit on that? Yeah, I think that um, the thing that I believe is a misconception that people are raised in is that love is empirical. Uh, love, is, love is relative. Love is relative to the giver. It's relative to the receiver. It's relative to the observer, right? And, and it is... Um, one of those things where the actions that we take, no matter what action it is, can, um, I I believe that there is love to be found within those actions. And and what does it look like to choose the more loving choice as often as possible? And and not knowing what that is, it's not always easy. It, it, um, when, I feel like for myself, I grew up beating myself up and thinking, am I a bad person? Is it like, am I not loving? Am I not whatever? I, I found myself doing that because I wasn't sure if I was acting out of love. And I've gotten to a place where I, I truly feel like I am in each and every moment to the best of my ability, which was why I basically said, I'm willing to put a camera on every mm. moment of my life and make this reality show. Um, and the, the point was to show people not how to, to live and like do this, do this, do this, but to show people that the idea of choosing love is um, an art form because there's nuance, there's complexity. It's not always clear and obvious and it's definitely not always easy. Mm. Yeah, I, I, can, I can totally r- relate. Like it's it's not easy sometimes. And then also like, the way that I would say my best ability is sometimes my, to you look really poor, but for me in the moment is just, it's just, that's, that's, that's who I am. That's what I can bring up. Right. Yeah. And even it started with a breakup, right? I had cameras yeah. there for our first, our very first piece of content was um, the, the U-Hauls came, we moved out of our house and there were cameras there after 10 years of being together. And now the thing was that we were breaking up, not because we were fighting. We weren't mm. fighting. We didn't have some fundamental differences. It was, it was this just knowing that we both had that there was more growth available to us outside the relationship than in it. We, we had started to become the restriction to our own individual um, evolution. And uh, this came through, by the way, in a plant medicine ceremony. And, and so we both separately were in plant medicine ceremony and received the message that it was time to, to separate and confirmation of that. And I, 
the break up for a lot of people, like how can you break up as, as in love? Like, how is that the loving mm -hmm. choice? Right. Um, you stick it out, you make it work. Like that's mm -hmm. love. A lot of people have that view. And, and if that's their view, then it doesn't look like love to them. But if you have the view that, that you could love someone so deeply that you can recognize that they have more opportunity to grow without you, then you can let that go. That, that is love in my perspective. And so then it is the loving choice. Neither of those is right. It's simply mm. about what is right for you because you're the one that's choosing love in, in any given moment. It's still your lens. And um, I believe that when we look at things like Donald Trump, like Donald Trump, whatever he's doing, any action, he is choosing love to the best of his ability. It may look like he's choosing the self-preservation route. It may look like he's trying to just put his family into a, a better economic situation. It may look like he's bullying smaller other countries because he wants to intimidate because then he feels more safe. Mm. Like whatever it is, he's still choosing love. Most people just feel like he's just hateful monster. Uh, and when I say most people, like the people who are anti-Trump are, are saying those sorts of things, but they're dehumanizing this individual, which prevents them from actually coming from a space of love. Very interesting. I, I like what you said there about, about love being relative and, and therefore there is no right or wrong in love. And so the example of Trump or your breakup are like such amazing examples because yeah, like of course in the entirety of 7 billion people, there would be some people that disagree, right? And there, there'd be some people that have a different point of view, but that's, that's where I feel like love is the true bridge and not just romantic love, but love on an unconditional spectrum as one humankind is, it's the bridge to understand well, maybe there is no objective way of loving and there, it is just a subjective relative thing. And so, so I, I might have to bring up tolerance, forgiveness, respect in order to actually detach from, let's say, the, the political point of view or the, the ex-romantic partner or whatever it may be. Yeah, and, and it's also like literally, can you think about, uh, this is a weird example, your audience is like, who is this dude? But like <laughs> spitting, spitting on someone's face, right? Like. It, you think about that, you're like, that's one of the most disgusting, rude, like awful things that you could do to spit in someone's face. And then you take it into a kinky bedroom situation and you have a husband, <laughs> you have a husband and wife and that's like, they, they, they play in that realm of like BDSM or whatever. And that's a thing that turns them on. Mm. All of a sudden that's an act of love. You know what I mean? Like Interesting example. Could, yeah. You could, you could take, it's a, it's a weird example. And like I said, but, um, it was something extreme that I can think of to just really reiterate that um, it's, it's so relative. And when we can understand that more than anything, it doesn't mean that we have to accept like Trump's action as being like, this is the, it's, it's love. So we just get to accept it. No, we can still, we're all working to create a reality in which we're living in our preferences. Mm. So um, when we're doing that and everything like you have this podcast to spread the messages of people that have similar preferences to you, you know what I mean? Like that's just how it, how it goes because you would like to see a world that has more of what you prefer and less of what you don't. That's the same with all of us. And that's the same with Trump. It's the same with you and anyone listening to this. So 
my point is simply if you can recognize that and remove the level of an empirical right and wrong and black mm. and white and love and, and hate and love and fear, then it opens up the door for more compassion and understanding. And I think those are fundamental needs right now in society that are, are lacking in a, for, on both sides of whatever this polarizing debate may be. Mm. I like where you're going with that because this is something I've actually struggled um, personally with like over and over is this, this notion of there is a right or wrong in my head brain and I can't really entirely switch that off. I mean, I can expand the space. I can meditate longer. I can, you know, use certain plant medicines to kind of get out of it for a while, but that head brain voice is still on. But that reflective ability that you mentioned, I think is incredibly important to understand. You know, I'm a, we, we talked about that offline and my, my audience knows that. And, you know, there's, I'm a very intercultural person. I've lived on three different continents. I speak all kinds of languages because it's just what lights me up. Okay. And so in those scenarios, I've experienced it over and over and over and over again. Something that's normal to me is totally not normal to the person in, I don't know, Paraguay. And they look at me like I'm an alien and but in fact, I look back at them like, well, but you're the alien to me. And so those silos of information that we create because I just want people to further the planetary purpose uh, message or I want people to be more artistic, we, they're, they're real. And so this has been a struggle for me to understand like where, where can all these different tribes or groups of interest, where can they actually meet and say, we coexist in a world um, we don't need to be of the same opinion. We don't even need to support each other, but we can still really let each other practice the beliefs we have, the religions we have. The, yeah. yeah. And, and it's not always easy, man. Like, let's get another extreme example because we, we try and like activate your entire audience here. But like, like eating dogs. Mm. Right. There's, I don't know if you know about the Yulin Dog Festival and, and like, right. Yeah. There's some that goes to almost like torture like torturing animals which i'm, I'm never going to condone but just the idea of eating dogs my dog is right over here sleeping as like a little princess and i, I love her so much and i want to literally get out of my chair and go squeeze her mm. and um when i think about people on, on this planet who are eating dogs i i there's an activation i've never eaten a dog i don't i i i don't desire necessarily to eat a dog and i don't judge them especially as a human being who still eats meat. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that is something where I go, how could I possibly do that? I've been raised in a culture where dogs are seen as pets. We make movies about them like Homeward Bound and like all these things. And so they're seen as this. And you go to a place like India where they revere the cow, hmm. right? And the, our treatment of our cows here is probably appalling. And um, yet, when the way we treat our cows is is torture like we torture our factory farmed animals yeah. and and yet so anyone listening to this especially those of you who are still eating any sort of meat fish chicken beef whatever the idea of of being in a culture where they eat dogs that like i can feel it in my system but how i choose to respond is where, where I think our level of consciousness comes into play. How we choose to respond to people who are living their life in a different way is, is ours to hold. 
And I think that as we become more conscious, meaning as we become more aware of certain aspects of these different things, uh, I think that then the onus is on us to just show up with compassion and love and have conversations because um, I can at least see the other perspectives and I can, I can hold that um, as not being right or wrong. And by the way, this is not also, it's important to mention, it's not just about looking at what someone else is doing and not saying it's right or wrong. It's also looking at what we ourselves are doing and not saying that we are right, mm -hmm. you know? Um, we can decide that we're wrong based on our preferences and wanting to do something different. But I think it's important to, to never really assume that we are right empirically. Yeah. Subjectively, of course, that notion com comes up every now and then. But I, I like where you're going there, man. I, I want to ask you a follow-up question about like choosing love and, and rights and wrongs. And it has to do with trust. And uh, the, the question is, what is required for you to experience or feel trust? Safety, safety. I think that trust is built on a, on a foundation of, of safety, like true trust. And um, so, right, we can reverse engineer this. If you have trust, you're gonna be able to have deep conversations. If you have deep conversations, you're gonna be able to, to create new solutions. So if trust is foundational to creating new solutions for this planet and safety is foundational for creating deep trust, Mm. then imagine how hard it is to create safety when you're viewing someone through the lens of they are wrong. If they feel like they are being judged just for doing what they think is love or what they were raised in culturally or what they think is right or whatever it is, the moment they feel judged by you, it's no longer safe and therefore they don't trust and therefore there's no real solutions mm. to be found. I like that. That makes me think back of um, when I when I first went abroad as a 15-year-old, uh, shout out to that community, AFS, American Field Service. They prepared us um, in like different preparation kind of weekends and camps. And one of the mantras that I will never forget that they kind of like literally spoon fed us with was it's not right, it's not wrong, it's just different. Because unless you, you have that going on in your mind, your, your subjective lens will always say, well, but this is wrong and therefore I don't feel safe or therefore I don't want to trust this person or, or I don't want to actually even say yes to this person. And so um, that mantra has been like reverberating in my life experience like for the last and, 20 years. And the key component to that that you touched on is you traveled. Yeah. Like this is why travel is so important because you get to start to experience other ways of doing things and you get to associate other ways of doing things with human beings. Mm. I've traveled all over the world. So I don't even know how many countries at this point. Mm. And what, I've, what I am amazed by everywhere I go is how similar we are as humans. Mm. Like we have the same emotions. We have hopes and dreams and desires. We can laugh. We can play. We can dance. We can connect. Like at, at our core, we are all the same. And uh, yet then when we start throwing up, oh, I was raised on this side of this, you know, spinning blue rock. And because I'm on this side of the planet, all of a sudden I'm, I'm living differently. And that, that doesn't make me different. 
that doesn't mm. make that doesn't separate need to separate us that just gets to be an example of how, how diverse we don't look at a a palm tree from an from a redwood tree and be like oh like the palm tree deserves to die because it's not a redwood tree like mm. we look at this grew up here in these circumstances this grew up over here in these circumstances how amazing that is like look at how diverse that is and um, I think we can just start to view humanity through that lens as opposed to um, seeing people as like threats to, to our way of living or whatever is, is going on. Hmm. So you mentioned how like traveling is a big piece uh, in, in that kind of liberation experience, right? And yeah. you, you briefly touched on uh, plant medicine earlier. Do you want to share like the mindful use of psychedelics or plant medicines and how that has like changed your life yeah i mean entheogens have have completely shifted everything for me um from I, i've done i've sat with so many different medicines at this stage from ayahuasca psilocybin aboga san pedro peyote like what like so many different things mm. um including when i was younger i was really um a not addicted, but really into like prescription pills, for example, oh, wow. and, and, uh, cocaine and, and all like all these different, I've gone through a, a very wide array of different substances. And so I feel like I'm in a position to say that plant medicine, specifically when we talk about entheogens and, and, um, psychedelics are a different thing. Hmm. They're, they're a different, animal and and when done in a really reverent um way when they're done with intention and in ceremony and done with a container you know terence mckenna called it set and setting mm -hmm. um and so when you have the right set and the right setting for the use of these and you have the right guidance and most importantly when you have the right support for integration um, because what happens after the ceremony itself is as important if not more important than what happens during the ceremony because i love that you're saying that yeah go go a bit deeper there please because it, it it's so massively important yeah well in the western culture it's it's bigger faster stronger we we synthesize everything into like immediate fixes and hmm. we we want uh, we take incredibly harsh painkillers to just numb out the pain that we might be feeling in our body so we can continue to do the things that actually created the pain in the first place, as opposed to let me be with this pain and realize why it's happened. Am I 100 pounds overweight? Am I improperly moving my body when I, when I work? Am I sitting at a desk for eight plus hours a day with improper posture. Like instead, let me just numb myself to that and keep doing my thing. Well, in, in kind of the, uh, I, I think that with plant medicine specifically, there's a, the Western culture has synthesized it into this thing where it's like, I'm going to go do ayahuasca on Saturday night and then go to work on Monday and be back around all the people that had led me to be really unhappy in the first place. And, mm. and then go back into my relationship that I hate and like, and, and just go back into that. No amount of 
like whatever happens on Saturday night in that ceremony, if you're not integrating those lessons, if you're not allowing yourself to make different choices, if you are uh, thrusting yourself back into the exact same groove that you were in, um, you can't expect things to change. You can't expect things to, to become different. And um, the medicines won't do the work for you. The, the medicines are going to give you a new awareness. And I always say that awareness gives us choice. Awareness is not change in and of itself. So um, I, I really believe that the medicines are there to support us in, in seeing aspects of ourselves we may not have seen before, make new patterns. If you ever look at the studies they're doing with LSD hmm. um, and MRI scans, you see that your brain just lights up with new neural connections that don't generally activate in your day-to-day -day life. And so what those new connections do is allow for new pattern recognition. You get to see yourself in an entirely new light. You get to see the world in a new light. And once you do that, you have the ability to make choices that you were never able to make before because you can see what's going on under like a few layers deeper. But making those choices is, is, not, is not necessarily part of the, the ceremony, right? Like it still is the real life that shows up, creating the space, uh, allowing yourself to actually understand that when you're in front of that, um, let's say, partner again or in front of that uh, workplace again, you, you might have to go through the difficult moment of facing something and being like, oh, wow. I saw it in the ceremony in my helicopter ride up into the cosmos. I realized this is not for me. And now I'm here in front of that person and I still feel completely shut down and I don't want to speak up. And that's why, that's why the integration and the support during integration is so important. I've had so many clients, you know, I've, um, while I've been focusing on my art, I still, still work with a few clients here and there um, that, I've, that I've coached who uh, found their way into plant medicine, or I supported them in, in finding their way into plant mm. medicine and um, supported their integration, supported their, okay, let's, let's, like, you go into this, and, like, when you come out of it the next day, like, let's have a phone conversation. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's get together. Let me support in, 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 Un, like deciphering and putting the pieces back together in a way that is supportive of the life that you want to lead. Because that, again, we, it's, there's no right or wrong, right? And so like when we look at indigenous cultures and the way that, that uh, something like ayahuasca was used, people are raised in a community that ayahuasca is there and the community supports the integration. The shaman was there to help decipher some of it. The, sh the, the shaman's there to help with the integration because everyone's aware of it and it's a part of the community. Whereas if we go and we have an experience on a weekend, the way that it's being done right now in a lot of the, the, the Western world, then you come out of it and who's there to help you put it back together? Who's mm -hmm. there when you come out and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm in an abusive relationship and I'm in that abusive relationship because I realized that that's how my father was and I, I don't have the self-worth that I desire to have. Great. So who's there to support you in making the decision to, to, to leave or stand up for yourself or whatever? Because that, that aspect of it, the making new choices is really, really difficult. It's really difficult. There's no way around it. You, you've been making choices your whole life. It's your safety. It's your comfort zone. Stepping out of that is uncomfortable. 
and oftentimes can be quite painful because the longer we have lived out of alignment, the, the more painful it is to get ourselves in alignment because our entire reality has been constructed in a way that needs to be broken down and re rebuilt. Yeah, I, I really like that. I think it's, it's, thank you for sharing that. It's, it's important to continue to put, put that part of the message out as well. Like it's not a, um, you know, a magic pill or a silver bullet solution. It's, it's an, something that needs to be integrated. And you, you mentioned like feeling uncomfortable and how it is kind of like maybe even a gift, right? It, it's something that, that we get to, to experience to continuously make us aware. We're not quite at the point of complete um, internal north or alignment with, with source or spirit. Uh, Adam, I want to, I want to touch on, on like the topic of, of discomfort, loneliness, anxiety, depression, and like, well, have you experienced that? Right. Which I think there's a clear yes to that, but then how did that help? Did you find it like something that's just natural? Is that a cycle of life? Like, what's your point of view on all, on, on all these like really severe and deeper and darker emotions? <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely have battled depression my pretty much entire life. Um, uh, I just only recently actually put that label on it. Um, speaking mm. to a couple therapists and, and things and... Um, I, I don't know that I have the answer to, to, to that question. I think that there is a lot of factors in play. Um, so like I can speak for myself. There's the factor of, um, you know, being molested when I was five years old. That created a, a thing in my body because I didn't remember it. It became a repressed memory that I didn't remember until I was basically 30. So, um, my body went into a state of fight or flight. My nervous system was carrying a charge in it as I went through my entire life. That creates uh, the fight or flight response always kind of being on higher, a high alert um, creates a lack of safety, which we talked about earlier. And mm -hmm. then when um, you know, I'm raised in an environment where I'm, my discipline comes in the form of a belt or a wooden paddle or something like that, there's a physical lack of safety that's, that's amplified when I'm at home, right? Then you, you throw in, um, you know, being told at a very young age, don't cry like a little girl, right? And, mm. and just like shutting down my emotions. Now there's no outlet for emotion. Not only is there no outlet, I'm creating the story that that's like, that's a girly thing to do. That's not health, like men don't do that or, or don't show it as a sign of weakness. All of these factors play into it, right? Then when I open up my heart um, and really start to like learn how to feel again um, and then have a spiritual awakening and all this, then I start to feel so deeply. I can feel people. And there's a lot of fear and pain and trauma in the collective experience right now on this planet. Yeah. And as we tap into that, that is overwhelming. I, I, if I went into a meditation right now and just allowed myself to tap into the, like, the, the, the collective, it would bring me to tears. There are so many people living in, in unhappiness. And so all of these factors, right, contribute to um, an emotional state of being that we can call depression 
um, be, but understand depression is actually just a label we give to, to mm. symptoms, right? It's not actually a cause. So for anyone who's feeling those, like I believe each of those symptoms is part of the human experience. Meaning if you feel lonely, great, you're human. We all feel lonely at times. If you feel sad, great, you're human. When you Boom. feel all uh, of these things, truth straight up, yeah, yeah, like when when we feel all of these things in an amplified way that is causing us to to lose our our desire to to live life. That's where I feel like now we're getting into depression. When I no longer want to live, when I no longer want to play this game any longer, um, now that's where I'm saying I'm I'm depressed and the the way that i'm approaching this um and have been approaching it is in understanding that we can't want it to be gone and that's been the hardest thing for me to accept because i'm someone in my life where the moment i set my sights on something like i just go after it full force and, and mm -hmm. i make it happen but with with these the the emotions if i want it gone i've already made it the enemy and by making it the enemy, I've created an adversarial split within myself that doesn't actually allow for what is the healing, which is always the integration into wholeness. And so just in the very the statement of like, I don't want to feel this way hmm. when I'm feeling it is, is a resistance and what we resist persists. So yeah, big time. Yeah. So like, my my current journey and for anyone listening to this i i hope this is helpful but the the starting point for me that has really started to shift things for me is when i'm feeling that like this morning i'll give you a great example last night i had i re read a book i i went to a i went to a show and saw a performance then i came home and i read a book and then i meditated and then i went to sleep and then i woke up this morning and i felt a, like low again, you know? And I, I said, why am I feeling this way? I shouldn't be feeling this way. I had a good night. I got a good night's sleep. Like there, I, I mean, looking forward to my day. And I said, wait, this is just how I'm feeling. This mm. is just how I'm feeling. And that's okay. And I said, what do I want to sit here and focus on it? No, but I want to, I want to move it. I want to be with it. I want to let it know that it's okay for it to be felt. So what's a safe way for me to do that? Because before I would, I would be like, I need to go do this because I don't want to think about this. I don't want to be like this. I'm going to, yeah. whatever it is. Some people wake up and they take a, a, a Valium, you know what I mean? Like whatever it is to cope. And instead of coping, or let's put it this way, I found a coping mechanism in a healthy, supportive way, which was I, I uh, was writing poetry this morning. I think nice. I told you before we started this, I was writing this morning. I, I, was, I have been writing a poem on depression for, for weeks now, just like little by little. And this morning when I woke up feeling that, it was a perfect opportunity to, I reread the poem as I was working on it. I was like, you know what? I can add more to this now. And I put it into poetry. And here's the thing. After about an hour of doing this and adding some lines to it, I said the lines out loud and I started bawling. Mm. And that's when I realized like it was all, it was up here as I was writing it and I was doing the things and I was like making it rhyme and doing my spoken word thing. But once I actually allowed myself to say it, the emotion came out and I realized how much the, the 
outlet of the poetry had allowed for me to to actually move the energy through. And so I, I think my point is for everyone, if you're feeling it, it's okay. You're not bad, you're not wrong, you're not broken. And allow yourself to feel it in ways that don't cause you to just spiral in it. Mm. Allow yourself to feel it in ways that that bring about movement in a supportive fashion. One thing that I love to do is stretch. When I feel like absolute crap and I'm like, I've started to stretch my body because I, I believe that it's existing in my body. And if I can stretch, I'm literally breaking through the limitations. I'm breaking through the container 100%, of my yeah. physical body, which is a representation of the container of my emotions and my mental and all of that. So yeah, I don't know what it looks like yet. And, and I'm in it very much right now. Yeah. And I think that's why I'm asking you, man, is, is because this illusion that some people are just like happy all the time. I just, I just personally don't buy it. I think um, we, we're still um, being fed a narrative mainly. I mean, I mean, we, it, it means most people in like a Western dominant kind of paradigm um, where there is a state the way you should be and anything to get there. Right. But when you feel your feelings, when you're feeling them, they actually inform you. Um, and then yeah, if you resist it, it will persist and it might turn all the way into depression. But as you said, like, would you want to miss that experience of writing the poetry? Probably not. No, I wouldn't want to. And I don't desire to attach um, my poetry to sadness or my, like, because as an artist, there's, there's a lot of artists who, who believe that pain is a necessary component to their ability to create art and i just i don't subscribe to that i don't mm. think that we need the pain i think it's different because because pain is is a part of life and we will yeah. experience painful things and we can turn that into art but i do not believe that we need to sit there and say i need this pain otherwise i can't create my art yeah, yeah that that doesn't does not resonate with me and so i'm very careful about the stories i tell around yeah i found a way to turn it into poetry and i'm excited for when i'm not you know dealing with any sort of, of depression course. and i know people they're not happy all the time but happiness is their default state of being and that's a very different thing when we can see that the sadness we feel is temporary and within a few hours or maybe a day it goes away as opposed to um what has been my experience for a lot of my life, if not all of my life, is pain and sadness and feelings of overwhelm, like depression has been my primary state of being. And I go through periods where it's not, but then I go back to the primary state and I wanna flip it on its head. My desire is to shift that um, and, and slowly but surely just the ratio changes. And like 10% of the time I'll be sad and I'll, I'll feel this and whatever, but 90% of the time I'm loving life. Hmm. I have another question for you and it, it kind of relates um, at least in, in kind of my, my logic mind because I feel like when I go into the topic of depression or like depressive feelings or anything that's kind of more the negative end of the spectrum, for me, what happens, there's a lot of questions. I question like, who am I? Why am I here? Like, why am I even on this floating rock in space? Right. And so that kind of comes out to purpose. Like, why the fuck am I here? Like, why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I here? And so 
what came to me over the last weeks and months and, 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 and years at this point is, is this notion of planetary purpose, being in responsibility towards yourself, your own life, your own expression, but also like maybe the collective at large or even the planet in terms of like stewarding consciousness and then possibly even a new era of humankind. And so I want to ask you, like, what is purpose for you and what is the, the, the word planetary purpose in, invoking you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, on my Instagram feed I'm, and, and my Facebook feed, I'm constantly re releasing little like poetry memes and lines and things. And one of them recently was happiness is available through purpose and purpose is found through service. And I believe that one of the things around unhappiness is it, it's when we spiral into our own world. It's if we're feeling unhappy and we're feeling purposeless, we are focusing on ourselves. And I have never met anyone who feels like they have found their purpose that didn't involve some level of, of service to something bigger than them and, and to others. And um, that is a consistent, I think I can say that pretty much across the board. I don't know anyone whose purpose that they found is just to take care of themselves. Whether even if it's like a mother whose like purpose is to raise her kids, that's totally fine. We don't need to talk about like some giant change the world thing. Like you change the world through raising your children the best that you can. And um, I think like that can be someone's life purpose is to be a mother or a father. Like that's totally fine, but that's still in service to another human. Mm. And I, and when I think of planetary purpose, what comes to mind for me is where is our purpose in service to the planet? Where, where is our service actually like honoring our home? Because no matter where you live, this earth is your home. Mm. And when we see things like climate change and plastic pollution and, and like we collectively are destroying our home. You know, if someone came over to your house right now with a, with a, like a bunch of takeout containers and plastic things or whatever, and then when they were done with it, they just like threw it in the corner of your room, you'd be like, get the hell out of my house. Like, what <laughs> yeah. is wrong with you? And yet here we are collectively, you know, just throwing it into the corners of the room. And um, even worse, in many ways, we're throwing it into the corners of the rooms of people who are too poor to do anything else about it. Totally. And, um, that's a really sad state of, of being and a state of consciousness. And I think that, like I've said, awareness gives us choice. So if we know that it's happening, we have choices to do things differently. One, one big thing I did, uh, I can't remember what episode of the art of choosing love, but for a couple, for like three weeks, as we were traveling, we basically made the decision to challenge ourselves to travel with every piece of plastic that we used. We couldn't throw it away. Wow. We had to keep it. And this is while traveling. It's, it's much mm. easier to do this, by the way, if you're living at home and you can like go and get the bulk, whatever. But like here we are traveling and, and plastic is everywhere. Mm. 
it is everywhere. And again, I don't judge that as being wrong. I judge that as, wow, how amazing we were able to create something that's so efficient and so cheap and so multi-use and all of those things. That's incredible. And, and we now know that it's not sustainable. We Mm. now know that it's a problem. So we get to do something different. Yeah, possibly find a way that it can regenerate into something else, right? Like recycling and uh, the notion of recycling, but possibly we need to actually completely, completely look at it another way. Man, yeah, that's, that's an, another entire conversation on its own, but I have two more questions for you and they're kind of um, spinning off this idea of planetary purpose. And the first one is about the education system and education at large. And if you could single-handedly or in a group of people change the education system at large, like what would you do? Have them teach emotional intelligence as part of the curriculum. I think that um, what's funny is how fast that answer came out and I've never been asked that question before, but that, <laughs> that, nice. that's, that is um, without a doubt. I think that a lot of, if not all of the issues that we're facing right now are the result of people who do not have um, safe spaces to feel. And so all of the the emotions and feelings get suppressed, they get unexpressed, and then they um, manifest themselves. I think there's a poem in there. Manifest themselves into um, the actions that we're seeing on this planet. And Mm. so I I believe that if we can teach children how to... um, be with their emotions and process their emotions and how to create safe spaces for other people to feel their emotions and express their emotions. I think that we will very quickly um, shift what's happening on this, on this planet. Mm. I like that you answer that so fast with such like a conviction. Um, cause, cause sometimes these, these things are like locked up deep inside of us and, and they come out at like when we, when we prompt them through questions, right? Yeah. Thanks for asking the question. I'd never been asked that before. And, and now it's, now I know how strongly I believe that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like the answer because it makes me think that like, like, yeah, I mean, there's a million things we could change about the education system, but if there's one thing that's pretty obvious, it only kind of works for one certain kind of type of learner and one certain kind of type of personality that it really works for. And the other ones are kind of just following the same train. But if you were to learn emotional intelligence, then suddenly all of the different forms of learning, all of the different forms of being, it doesn't matter if you're type A personality or if you're the strongest or the weakest person physically in the class, like you're now all allowed to be. Yeah, and, and the education system, again, not wrong. It was created uh, and and adjusted in a way to to pump out good mm. little lemmings who can yeah. who could help with with the ex- rapid expansion of corp of of corporations right yeah, like yeah. W- with the industrial revolution and these things we need people like show up early be there all day follow directions regurgitate information like raise your hand like be a good follower do that hmm. thing step by step by step and that was perfect for like everything that was needed at the time, right? Yeah. Like as that expansion is happening, like that was needed and it worked really well to get us to this point. Now we, we need something different clearly. Yeah. And so um, I'm excited because I do see a lot of alternative education platforms and things being worked on. And I think it's only a matter of time. I think it's already shifting. Um, it's, I think that there's another aspect to it, which is, 
providing the financial um, infrastructure that allows for the education system to shift because mm. you know when we see things like the like inner city school systems in the United States they're working off textbooks that are already outdated and obsolete so we're we are when we talk about things like white privilege or the 1% or whatever. Now what we're actually getting into is recognize that we have whole generations of primarily, primarily minority uh, demographics who are being raised on information that is actually outdated and, and being taught. So even if they are doing a really good job within the system that they're in, they're all, they're graduating from that system with a step behind, right? It's, mm. it's institutionalized racism. And I, I just really think that um, as we're designing new education systems, I'm really excited because with VR technologies and AR technologies and, and technology in particular, we have an opportunity to um, provide opportunity at a level that we've never been before. Yeah, beautiful. It's, it's very empowering. My last question is, um, is kind of the, the question around planetary purpose that made me start this podcast about two years ago. And the idea of earth vision, or in other words, I would say seven generational thinking. Because if you think of it, the indigenous cultures around the world have this notion of seven generational thinking, um, very alive in their ethos and, and, and their values and, and kind of their culture. So my question to you is like, if we were to go out 210, 200 years into the future, what is your earth vision for this planet, for our home planet? What do you think becomes possible? Like, what do you desire? What's in your heart space for that? I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. I think that anything that I could, could create right now for a, an earth 200 years from now is a limitation on what's possible because mm. I'm basing it off of, um, you know, wanting to end things like war and in things like genocide and in things like sexual abuse, those are obvious, create prosperity so that people don't have to worry about feeding themselves or clothing themselves or finding shelter, like everyone having access to clean water. I can list all of those things, right? And all of those things are based on the, the, the fact that those things exist right now and I want them to end. What is possible for this planet, I believe is so much beyond that. I don't, I don't just want to, a planet that doesn't have the stuff that I don't mm. like. I would love for the planet to have things that I haven't even thought of yet that are so far beyond magnificent that I hold space for that potentiality. I like that answer. And I, and I totally hear you on the potentiality and possibility. And one of my favorite kind of notions is like, you got to meet the dream or the vision in actual reality. And so in 2019, or as we're going into the 2020s, which will like be in a technological era, unprecedented, right? Like if you, if you like AR, VR and, and like mobile phones, like, like wait for the 2020s, right? But it's real here still on this planet that about two to 3 billion people live in, in a poverty state. There's like a billion people that don't have safe drinking water. Like there's, and we could go on and on and on. And so I feel like how come that this like kind of what between you and I would probably be like a normal notion and, and maybe with, with a lot of educated people, it would be, but it's still not a fact on this planet. And so for me, the potentiality and possibility doesn't even have the time and space to lift off unless we're kind of like reaching this, this new homeostasis. I fully agree. And that's why I think that um, what will happen 200 years from now, no idea. What mm. I know is today, I'm 
I'm working to, to create a world in which it's more aligned with my preferences to not see the things that I just listed. Mm. And I'll do that through poetry. I will do that through my podcast. I will do that through my YouTube content, Facebook, Instagram. Like I will do whatever I can um, to create that world and um, know that, that that's all I can do. Because mm. similarly, like the, the, fractal nature of reality if i'm sitting here worried about or or hypothesis hypothesizing about how to create something 200 years from now um i do feel like you just touched upon i can i can bring myself out of the present and the reality of what is and mm. even when we talk about depression not being like oh i want this to be gone and i'm thinking about the world in which it, I, I don't feel depressed i'm thinking about right now in this moment this is what i feel what does it want what is that like little wounded child inside myself? What, is, what does he need right now? And then from there, do that. And so what does this world need right now? What are people feeling right now? And how do we support right now? That's a beautiful question to leave us with. Adam, thank you so much for your for your time, for your inspiration, for your energy and all the amazing art you're putting out there across the, the internet and, and wherever people meet you in person. Thank you, Julian. I really Thank appreciate you. the conversation, man. Yeah. And that's that. Another episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I hope you truly enjoyed this one and received some insights, knowledge, and a form of learning that you can directly apply to your life, into your relationships, or maybe even into your business and the way you show up for the world. Because this is a movement and we're all part of it. Very much so. And we're in this together. We're here to create a world of a triple bottom line where you win, I win, and the entire planet wins. We're raising consciousness together, and you know that. That's why you're listening. That's why I love you. So make sure to share the love. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Invite a friend to listen to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And if you have an idea who else you'd like me to interview, make sure you reach out and send me a suggestion. Definitely check out greenplanet-blueplanet.com, the website to the podcast. I've created a lot of different offers for you, free content, free meditations for you to amplify your connection to self, the state of social impact in the world, and for you to connect and listen to who you could support of the people that I actually interview because their missions are ongoing and a lot of them need more collaboration. And after more than 100 episodes now with some of the world's leading social impact experts, I have synthesized my most inspired learnings and takeaways to create coaching and mentorship programs for you and the people around you. Let me share with you about planetary purpose coaching and mentorship experiences. If you're in a space in your life where you're ready to level up to amplify who you are, what's coming through you and what you're doing to give your gift to the world, then I would love to hear from you. And I'd love for you to apply to one of my private mentorships or group mentorships. Because getting all of the juice, all of that life force that's in you out into the world is something you deserve and the entire world around us deserves. Also, I work with people who are entirely new to this, to the topic of planetary purpose or the topic of meditation, the topic of insight, evolution, and revolution. And if that's you and you're ready to step out of the ordinary and into creation, or if you know someone who is totally ready for that, make sure to check out the website or share the website. And you can also always shoot me a message on Instagram. I'll definitely read it and get back to you. Because 
Like, th guys, this is real life. Let's be in touch and let's create this together. Last but not least, there's a few different group experiences I host, both in person and online. All of them are quantum learning environments and I'm happy to tell you more. So simply inform yourself and stay connected because whatever resonates with you, I'm here to support you and bring out more purpose into the world. And with that being said, wherever you are in the world, make sure to be you, show up all the way, be all in, connect with someone today, make them smile, have yourself a stellar day. Lots of love to you and until soon.